Welcome to the Parking Lot Podcast. Here are your hosts, Lauren Roop, Camille Weindorf, Caitlin Adaman, Lauren McIntyre. Hey everyone, in today's segment of the Parking Lot Podcast, we will discuss representation of people in color in YA literature in relation to the book Dear Martin by Nick Stone. Spoiler alert. The opinions and information we are talking about today are meant to advocate the idea that everyone deserves to be treated like a main character and be represented appropriately and effectively, both in literature and in life. In this quote from Dear Martin, handcuffs, it it hits him. Mello's drunk beyond belief in the backseat of a car. She fully intended to drive, yet Jess is the one in handcuffs. So, like, in this scene, Justice is coming home, like, from, or not... He's not coming home. He's just, like, walking down the sidewalk, and he sees his girlfriend getting into the car. She's obviously not okay to drive, and he takes things into his hands, and then he gets in handcuffs, and that's not cool. <laughs> that's, it's not cool. Well, it's not right. Essentially, what happened was the police assumed, okay, there's a black kid in a hoodie, therefore it's a threat, which is internally like what the problem is with police brutality is they're making assumptions based on race but it's also the fact that his girlfriend mellow is white right so the look of justice as black and mellow as white it just right that's what he's seeing that's it not anything beyond and other parts in like the scene is him talking about how the police officer was just like justice was trying to explain the police officer is not listening to him he's just like literally like kind of like shoving him into these handcuffs against the car um which no is also part of it is read to him either yeah he didn't get the miranda rights written, which is already like full-on just illegal but a lot of that was not and he wasn't like questioned anyway. at all like what was happening in the situation yeah, no, or anything like, it was just like instantly to like based on assumption and mellow she wasn't in the mindset to stand up for justice you know like right. defend his character and i'm pretty sure wasn't she the one who texted him to come yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah because yeah. he left his friend's house to come like help her out or something and like, walk her drive home. Him, which is why right. he was walking yeah he was walking and the police officer isn't even caring about the fact that there was a girl who was insanely intoxicated underage trying to drive a car right he was only concerned with the fact that you know he was doing something bad to this white girl yeah Yeah. something that's like really interesting about this from a historical perspective is that is that inner city areas are more consistently heavily policed and it goes back into like the 50s and a little bit before when suburbs started to happen it was white couples who got the loans to move out to them black people were denied the loans specifically because they were black so the inner cities started to be populated with people of color so they were more heavily policed the housing areas were worse which is where the like all of that started and so yeah if you heavily police an area more there will be more crime which is what racists like to say they're like well the areas with people of color they're they are have higher crime rates because there's more police Mm -hmm. unfairly like there's no reason why there should Mm -hmm. be Um, And then we also have another quote from Dr. Thomas that says, The reason our culture does not notice the ways that race, difference, and darkness are hailed in the fantastic is because we have been carefully taught not to notice it. Which is something like a perspective that we all share because we're all white. We're all, we don't have that background or that insight knowledge to add to this story. Like we're... We're taught in a perspective that, um, you know, it's it's about us. It's our story. Like, unless we're physically shown it or physically, like, 
experience it, we're not going to notice it. And I think that's what Dr. Thomas is saying in this quote. Yeah. And that's why it's so important to be educated about, like, people of color and, like, authors of people of color and books about people of color because if you just read books about, like, one race, you're not really getting, like, a well-rounded, like, idea. Another thing that's, like, very interesting to think about is just that white people are taught that you are the main character not of like your own story but just of life society Mm -hmm. is catered to you and you alone essentially um and with that comes um blissful ignorance in a way you don't even know that you're being ignorant you just are i think that's a thing with like kids for the because kids don't really know what racism is that are white and then they get older and they realize it if they're taught it correctly because you're yeah. taught to be racist too. like that's not like an innate thing that's like the thing too is like white kids don't get to have like the quote-unquote talk like black kids get the talk of this is how you act in front of policemen this is how you act in front of x y and z because they have to like in this world where everything is not fair and not equal they get the talk whereas the white people or the white kids were treated differently so we don't need that which isn't right and isn't fair and isn't cool we're always going to get the better assumption because we're white yes which is an unfair way to go about things race means nothing character means more than anything else Mm -hmm. that's what i was about to touch on because i feel like even going back to the book um the cop definitely like passed a character judgment onto justice for no other reason other than he had a different skin color than mellow you know Mm -hmm. he definitely misread that situation and i think instead of going into it um just assuming that justice was trying to harm mellow he should have just been like hey what's going on here you know like Mm -hmm. does she need help like I just wanted to come check up and see what the situation's about, you know? I don't think he had to go into it with aggression, mm-hmm. which um, I've, like, seen um, more recently that police training, they're trying to, like, de-escalate situations. Yeah. And so, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, just to take change. that yeah. scene a step further, like, tell me, like, would it have happened if Justice was white? Like, no. Yeah. Probably, it wouldn't probably have happened. Not. No. It no. literally happened because of prejudice and because of stereotypes and Mm -hmm. that's it yeah and that's on the police and this is something to like note is that this is technically a fictitious story but this isn't a fictitious event this happens constantly this happens so often um there are stories upon stories upon stories of incidences like this and unfortunately the majority of them end in some type of tragedy Mm -hmm. um which is incredibly sad. And like um, you pointed out, Camille, that the police are starting to do more de-escalation training. Something that I just find very interesting is that we are one of the countries that has the least amount of police training globally. Oh, wow. Most pl- countries will have one, two, three years. Mm-hmm. I think we have like a matter of weeks or a matter of months. And another thing that's interesting is a lot of our police um, are ex-military men, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I know with different generations, they have different mindsets. They've experienced different things, especially in the military. Our generation has never had to fight a war, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes veterans, like, they have in their head, they have this, like, switch off from, like, humanity and, like, wartime, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes in a policing situation, that switch can maybe flip and they are not acting 
as like normal humans would, you know, they're in like a wartime mentality where it's like they're fighting an enemy when really it's just like another American citizen. They don't need to like pull out a gun and like try to, it's just unnecessary at that point. Yeah. Like the, um, they don't need to use excessive force. I think once a person's in handcuffs, they're not dangerous anymore. So, you know, and what's great is that like with all these events that are happening, social media definitely has brought them all to life and really has like drawn up support against like police brutality and against like racial targeting. And I think that's great that like movements are starting to evolve and starting to support, Mm -hmm. you know, it helps to gain traction for sure. Yeah. Helps them to get known to people. Mm hmm. Something that is, like, interesting to think about is just, like, the police system. Camille's touched on that a little bit with just, like, what it consists of. But also, it's one of those things where um, there's that there's the whole talk about the police system about, like, well, maybe it's just one bad seed. And my only issue with that is that the fact that, well, if it's happened more than once, if it's happened more than twice, if it's happened more than ten times, it's not just one bad seed. It's a bad system. Clear, mm-hmm. something is not wrong with an individual if the system is constantly making the same mistakes over and over again. You can't fix you can't fix a machine by only replacing one clog. You have to go in and you have to actually look at what's causing the cog to keep getting broken. Mm-hmm. And so that's something to me that I think in certain areas of America people are starting to do that. I th- um I think it needs to probably be um, everywhere should theoretically be looked at because this isn't just happening in one state or one city. This is happening across the nation. Um, but I'm glad mm-hmm. to see that there is, like, there are different cities who are doing things to try to mm-hmm. actually make change, actually make things be better. Yeah. Here is another quote from Dear Martin. Yes, people who legitimately aren't as qualified get picked over people who are. And yes, it's usually people of color getting picked over white people. But before you say something isn't fair, you should consider your starting point over someone else's. Yeah, this quote came from the scene where Justice and Jared are both comparing their scores. And Jared is upset that Justice made it into... um, I believe it's Harvard. Harvard, Harvard over him. And he just assumed that Justice's scores would be lower than his... And, like, he had no reason to pass this judgment on uh, Justice just because race doesn't affect his test score. Like, Justice was qualified and was smart enough to get into that school. Yeah. The person saying the quote is SJ, and she's really... Though Justice is, like, making points in this, it's her who is really, like, driving this whole thing Mm -hmm. home. Essentially, what Jared was throwing out is, I got a good SAT score, I got a good ACT score, but because of affirmative action, I didn't get in. I personally have some thoughts about affirmative action and my issue with affirmative action is that it is inherently the system that said universities aren't allowed to be racist. We're literally going to force you to not be racist. That's not what it did. What it did was said we're going to force universities to let in students of color whereas they wouldn't have done that before because of prejudice. And that's just to fill a quota. That's just to fill they, their list of needs to start every fall semester. To get money, essentially. Yeah. And to have the diversity percentages match Quote, what unquote, they want. diversity. Right. And yeah. then they're not giving those kids resources. They're not giving them opportunities. They're not giving them the support that they need. They're mm-hmm. essentially saying, you got in because we needed to fill a statistic mm-hmm. percentage. And as long as we do that and get our money, we're fine. You figure it out from here. 
which hurts the students of color and does nothing for the diversity and inclusion. Which Justice actually goes on to say, I'm ca- I can't remember if it's in this specific scene or later in the novel, but he goes on to say, like, hey, yeah, I get into this really cool school, but because of affirmative action, like, they're going to look at me differently no matter, like, even though I had the test scores, even though I had the credentials mm-hmm. to get into the school, I'm going to still be looked at like an outsider, mm-hmm. someone who doesn't belong. And that's, you know, just the standard affirmative action that the colleges have to fill as a quota instead of actually making the university and the dynamic between all of the students better. Another thing that I thought about um, when I saw this quote from SJ is that um, the last part, uh, consider your starting point over someone else's. So when I'm thinking of Jared, I'm thinking of a really, you know, well-off white kid and he probably has hundreds of SAT studying hours you know with a private tutor and he's put all of this work in and sure he has a phenomenal score but maybe people of color who don't come from a lot of wealth or that kind of opportunity maybe they just study with like public library books you know Mm -hmm. and they like don't have the same um, access to resources like maybe Jared did and so um, something to say about that is just like Maybe these big universities that have the SAT score as a standard, maybe SAT score isn't a great measure of work ethic or of a person's, you know, (laughs) a person's opportunity and they're just like educational skill at all, you know. And so I just that really hit home with me is like your starting point over someone else's because I feel like so many. Um, mm-hmm. people of color like don't have the greatest opportunity to technology to new textbooks to yeah. teachers that are really invested and are willing to go that extra mile to do study groups and just really be passionate about what they're teaching the kids you know yeah. so and there's so much systemic racism and why that is the way it is like how I was mentioning about how like the inner cities got more populated by people of color that meant the school systems were that way that meant Mm -hmm. the funding went that way because of the census that meant that all of those things just piled on top of each other so i think like that's just for the people who like are either they don't understand what systemic racism is that's what it is it means that an area is systemically being oppressed because of their skin color and because of the opportunities that they are not even allowed Nobody deserves to feel like they're just in an institution because they want to fit a race quota. Like, I can't even imagine having those kinds of, like, insecurities. Like, walking into a room and just, like, having that feeling that everybody else is thinking that you don't belong there and everything like that. Mm -hmm. Like, simply because of your skin color. Because of your skin color. Yeah, that's absolutely absurd. Like, I, I could not even begin to imagine just, like, how isolating that's feeling, you know? Like... You, the first thing you do when you go to a new school or a new college is you want to reach out and get friends and, you know, and I bet that's really hard if everybody like has a, a target on your back. Yeah. Yeah. This like reminds me of the Dr. Thomas quote that we have. Um, it's just says that for many, a viable fantastic may be the dream of a world where they are not judged by the color of their skin, the language of their parents, the God they pray to or not of whom they choose to love, but rather by the kind of person they are or are or wish to be someday. Absolutely. That quote really speaks to a person's character, I think, Mm -hmm. over anything else, which is the most important, you know? Yeah, which going back to, like, that college, like, quota thing, like, who cares about test scores? Like, a lot of kids, whether they're black or white or female or male, like, some Mm -hmm. kids just don't have good test-taking abilities, and then that's gonna, you know, 
determine if you get into a college or not. Like, it's so skewed. Yeah. Yep. Like, Aiden. why Why does it matter so much? Mm-hmm. And then too. you pull into the fact that some kids are going to have less or more, like, resources to affect that. And it's just, like, mm-hmm. ugh, absurd. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make sense. I can speak to that a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. not just to sound weird, but just to give, like, numbers to it a little bit. I'm a mm-hmm. 4.12 student, and I have an 1,100 on the SAT. Mm-hmm. I'm not a good test taker. I'm not at all. We've all taken that mm-hmm. SAT. It, it, sucks. Do- it does nothing. Uh-huh. And something that really bothers me about the SAT, at least at my old school, I took it, like, twice my junior year, okay? Mm-hmm. Before COVID hit, um... I was really involved in school, obviously, and so Friday nights, we would always have games, you know, that would go really late till 10 o'clock at night, and I was a cheerleader, so I'd be at those games, and then the SAT Mm -hmm. is offered Saturday morning at Mm 7am, so I would already have a late night, like, being involved in school, you know, I had a long school week and stuff, and Mm -hmm. then, like, having to wake up and take a really hard, mentally taxing test Mm -hmm. one day, you know, I don't feel like that's a fair representation of the kind of student I am, or, like... I don't know. I just feel like I've always been against standardized test taking and I feel like especially in low advantage areas, you know, where um, kids, you know, they have other things to worry about. They're working to put food on the tables. They are, you know, they have other priorities than trying to study for a one time SAT test that no one's going to care about because you're into your college. No one cares about your SAT score, your high school GPA after you move on. Right. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter anymore. SAT to me, SAT, like standardized tests and anything like it, are very similar in a way to IQ tests. They mm-hmm. kind of do nothing. Yep. They kind of just do nothing. Because an IQ test, A, was created partially for the eugenics movement. And two, it didn't do much. Like, it, all it said was it gave a measure to say, you know, maybe this person is mentally disabled or this person isn't. However, there are people who are autistic and have an amazing IQ. Mm-hmm. And they're incredibly intelligent. They just process things differently. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you can almost make that comparison with the SAT a little bit of like, there are kids who are really, really smart. Yeah. And they are horrible at doing standardized tests. Yeah. And that's going to hinder them from getting into college. And then also... Just back to the relevance of the book is just saying, like, (laughs) essentially saying, all right, we're going to pit two kids against each other and we're going to make one kid feel like they got in because we needed to fill a diversity quota. And then we're going to make the other one feel like they didn't deserve to get in. And it's dumb all of it's dumb and i think also in this scene like let's just be honest jared is looking for excuses because he thinks he's mr perfect and he's like oh yeah there's no way i didn't get in it must be and he's trying to like he's searching for something oh let me think Uh, might be affirmative action you know like Mm -hmm. there's no way i couldn't get in with my scores you know Mm -hmm. maybe he just didn't have enough of they colleges say that it's a holistic aspect you know maybe he didn't have volunteer experience or he wasn't involved in extracurriculars or something like that you know like i jared just rubbed me the wrong way until the end of the book when he kind of came around a little bit but (laughs) that's just my opinion he's got privilege coming out his ears oh yeah obnoxious oh my goodness yeah but Justice, I think, handled the situation really well here. As well he as was like with this mm-hmm. buddy SJ. Oh, SJ. Yeah. SJ. <laughs> SJ. SJ's good. 
But, um, yeah, I think Justice definitely stuck up for himself as he should. Um, Jared was passing a judgment on race, basically, and that is – it's a groundless accusation. Jared's like, oh, you don't have as good as test scores as me. Well, Justice is like, what makes you think that? And Jared's like, uh, I don't know. And, he had to backtrack and cover Yeah, he's like backtracking. He's like, oh, why did I say that? I shouldn't have said that. Well, duh, you shouldn't have said that because actually Justice's – was it – ACT score was higher, and yeah. that was such a mic drop moment. I was, uh-huh. I was set down my book. I was, like, writing my emojis on my screen. I was like, yes, <laughs> this is a groundbreaking moment. And so, I I don't know. I just, yeah. the scene is very important. So. Jared gives me very much, like, I'm not racist, but vibes. Like, yeah. yes, you are, but you don't yeah. want to admit it because you yeah. understand it's not in popular opinion, but you don't want to actually, like, ca- take care of your prejudice. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. This is Station 202, coming on to let you know about The Dark Fantastic by Ebony Elizabeth Thomas, a deep dive into how race and ethnicity affects young adult fantasy literature. Check out Dr. Thomas's book, sold several places nationally. So in another excerpt of Dear Martin, Justice is writing out this letter to Martin Luther King, which is one of his projects. And in that letter, he says not being one of those black kids among a couple other things and something that sticks out about this quote to me is just white people are the oppressors of a system we've created the system where white people are on top and anyone who's not white gets beneath and within that there have been divisions put between people of color to be like how can you appeal to white people enough that they will give you opportunity? And that is so stupid in like when you look at it so much and obviously I'm a white person of privilege. So I have been ignorant to this and the system does benefit me. However, it's a horrible system. The system hurts more than it does any, it does no good and it just hurts. And so just to have it like phrased like that, it's just, it's kind of awful to like see that someone wants to change who they are to appeal to a system. So something interesting about this quote is that justice obviously is a person of color and he's making this distinction between other people of color. So the kids that justice are talking about are, they have the same skin color that he does. So he's passing this prejudice onto them trying to like draw these fine lines when visually like they're the same they're the same yeah it's just again it comes back to like a character judgment justice is at this prep school he's working hard to become educated and stuff and the guys he's he's talking about are involved in drugs and they have guns and they're just not on the same track that justice is so he's like oh i don't want to be those black kids you know and so i just think that's really interesting that he's drawing these distinctions between his same race basically you know and i think that also it happens between multiple races because even as white people we draw distinctions and we're like oh well we don't want to be white trash we don't want to be rednecks you know so we don't want to be some of those white people you know but i think i've never quite heard that um from a person of color before so that was really interesting it's those are all just like social constructs that Mm -hmm. were subconsciously forced or not forced but subconsciously start to believe at a very young age Mm -hmm. that this is the way that we should be and this is the way that we should act in x y and z type of situations and if you don't then you're outsider then you're an outcast then you're weird then you're you know it's just be who you are be who you want to be 
and just live. Like, why does it need to be this big old thing that you need to make a big deal about yeah. when it's not? It's not a big deal. Be who you want to be. Yeah. Start out, period. That's very it. Granted, we get the privilege of being able to say that. We're That's not correct. trying to appeal yes. to that system uh-huh. as also, they are, which is sad because they shouldn't have to, which is your point. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's um, a scene in the uh, book, actually, where um, he's at a party with uh, his friends who actually go to his school who are all white. And they say this quote, um, better watch out, B. You know, Justice grew up in the hood. He's going to call up his gangsta homies to ride through on your ass and bust some. So he's making this assumption that because Justice grew up in this really rough neighborhood that that is how he acts. But, like, in reality, he's he's at the same school as they are, getting the same education, and he acts just like they do. So they're making this assumption just based off of where he grew up that he's going to act like that. I think a big role um, in these kind of social constructs is the media, is literature, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, they take these... um, different ideas you know the idea of a gangster the idea of a redneck stuff like that and they like penalize it you know these people are the ones that are going to jail these people are always the ones finding themselves in um rough situations they're always the ones that are the enemy in trouble you know and so I think that has really shaped people's um like concept of that those kind of people in real life you know so absolutely something that's like just interesting to like think about is so justice makes the distinction of i don't want to be one of those black kids Mm -hmm. he is assumed to be at the beginning of this book he is assumed to be that by white people because even though there are divisions between like everybody theoretically like what's happening is that the white cop does not care Mm -hmm. the white cop sees what the white cop wants to see which is i'm going to be racist Therefore, because he's black, he's a problem. Mm-hmm. Which, it's just, like, we, like, there are divisions and there are definitely things that, like, you don't want to be. But when it's in a system and it's systemically, like, like how you were talking about, like, making the enemy. White has made anything not white the enemy. Yeah. Some, like, in the structure of everything, they have made anything that isn't white the enemy and anything that isn't white is a threat and anything that isn't white comes down to it which a big thing that like we can talk about like i mean that just comes from like anywhere like obviously this book is specifically talking about african-american struggles and the prejudice and oppression that comes against them but that happens all across america i mean that happened i mean that's still happening now and it's happening across the world um in france they just passed a bill that says any any woman who is under the age of 18 cannot wear a hijab in public. Excuse me, what? She's not allowed yeah. to do it. It's ridiculous. Um, because they see it as oppressive. But it's not. It's not because it's, it's her it's religion. Her choice. Yeah. It's her religion. Granted, yeah. that is obviously an example in France. It's not even the United States. However, yeah. that same that same dialect and that same thought is very present in this country. Mm-hmm. There was an actual ban on Muslim countries like to visit and for them to come here. Like th- there are so many divides in this system of just like white people and white oppressors have said, we're going to make anything that's not white the enemy to make sure we stay on top. Yeah. And I think it's part of white people's having a privilege and a platform because of that system mm-hmm. to dismantle it. And that occurred actually in the scene from the book um, where Manny and Justice are in the in their car. They're playing music. 
just in their car and this um acting like normal teenagers exactly that, yeah. like i do every exactly. day and this um white um old, like ex-police officer pulls up next to them and he tells them turn your music down turn your music down being super aggressive with his words and justice goes to turn the music down and the the white man shoots at their car just mm-hmm. pulls a gun and shoots at their car and what's really sad is that at the funeral actually well okay back up spoiler alert yeah spoiler alert sorry (laughs) but manny his best friend passes away and at the funeral what's really sad is that here's a quote from the scene is problem is there are media people everywhere outside based on some of the speculation he heard manny threatened garrett tyson which was the white man in the car who shot at them one of the boys threw something into Tyson's sub- suburban. Justice had a gun, etc. He'd rather not be seen. So what's really sad is that the media jumped to the conclusion that Justice had a gun, or they were being aggressive towards um, Garrett Tyson, but they didn't have any um, aggressive intentions at all with their. They were just being teenagers listening to music in their car. And would this have even happened if they were just two white teenagers just listening no, to music I in their car? I will say no. Yeah. I would say it wouldn't. So I think you can make the jump pretty easily and say no. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's just not it's not what happens. Yeah. Which is a sad part. Yeah. And unfortunate. Something like like it kind of like just to draw like I guess a real life parallel to this, Manny was a kid who was um obviously like speaking to his character, even if he wasn't a phenomenal human being, which he is in the book, obviously, yeah. but even if he wasn't, he did nothing to warrant getting shot. No. Not Essentially, at all. um, I don't know how much you guys have heard about it in the news, it's been all over. Um, Devontae Wright got shot mm-hmm. for no actual reason. He has a two year old that's gonna grow up knowing that his dad didn't have to die. Oh my god. And that's something to me that is just it it I can't wrap my brain around it because I can't fathom that a world exists where people die for no reason other Mm -hmm. than the fact that people are angry Mm -hmm. that someone could threaten a system that gives them privilege white people get angry because they're they have been taught to be threatened because something's going to get taken away from them nothing's going to get taken from you nothing at all Mm -mm. the system makes you think it is but it nothing nothing's good you will still get what you need. Black people and Hispanic people and Asian people and all of those people having equal rights and equal protections and equal opportunities doesn't mean you don't get them. It just means they do. Mm-hmm. They get lifted up to the platform that you've been living on for your entire life. And you don't realize that you've been living on this platform because you live on the platform. You and... don't understand that the pedestal you're sitting on is being held up by the people underneath it. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Okay. Snap okay, those words. <laughs> okay, so our next topic is about the Dear Martin letters. Um, so basically, throughout this whole novel, um, Justice is doing this kind of self-reflective experiment. And so he is writing letters to Martin Luther King Jr. And so every single letter, he starts them off with Dear Martin. And then he kind of fills in Martin Luther King um about what's going on in his life and he's just kind of asking questions he tries to think in the ways that martin martin luther king jr would you know um he's trying to have that uh, i think it's like the sixth level of maturity or something like that and so he's trying to just really understand all perspectives of a situation before he reacts to them emotionally so um, which is a good perspective to have in general 
It's a very mature experiment. Um, but throughout the book, he kind of realizes um, he has some self-doubt. And he's like, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. I'm not getting anything from this. And so we're going to explore that a little bit. Yeah. The quote where that's happening actually is, all the hard work I'm doing to try and get ahead in life, who am I doing it for? Better yet, what am I doing it for? To prove myself, to gain some respect, be able to shove it in the faces of people like Jared. I don't even know anymore. Mm-hmm. This he's- is... Uh, I believe it's after Manny has passed mm-hmm. and he's it's going towards through the end of the novel. and he's realizing yeah. just like how much of the system is against him. And he's like, I have tried to be this person who's perfect in the eyes of a system that is never going to treat me equally. That is never going to treat me fairly. Why am I trying anymore? Yeah. Why am I doing this anymore? Why am I catering to them when I've done all these things and I'm still getting my head shoved in sand? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So here, like, Every time I hear this quote, I'm thinking of justice and I think, you know, he probably has followed every single thing that a white authority person would have told him to do. You know, Mm -hmm. he's being compliant. He's talking to the media in certain ways. He's like giving out information, but still the system is just undercutting him, undercutting him. They're like, they put his character into question, you know, they do things that are just not fair and they really rub justice the wrong way. And I can definitely understand why he feels he's at a, he's at a point at a wall, you know, he doesn't know where to go. He feels like he's at rock bottom. And so at that point, um, it's really easy to get angry, you know, and want to do kind of irrational things. But I think he realizes that he's just at a breaking point. He's not even mad anymore. He just feels like there's nothing that can be done. You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. At he's that point, exhausted. exhausted yeah. At that point, he has that kind of like self-reflection, self-revelation of that he didn't have at the beginning of the novel. He started this project thinking like, hey, I'm going to make myself better. I'm going to mm-hmm. educate myself. I'm going to make a better world for myself. But when he puts all of this work into it and then it goes nowhere because of the the social constructs and mm-hmm. the, the boxes that people shove pe- people of color into that's when he gives up that's this that's this moment he's mm-hmm. realizing that no matter what he does he's still going to be shoved into what white people want him to be and that's that's what he's realizing in this scene mm-hmm. something that's interesting is obviously this book is very centered around martin luther king jr mm-hmm. in the fact that it is called dear martin and like with this project and everything and martin luther king jr was known for a couple things but probably one of his most famous things was his approach to how to deal with racism particularly racism when it was really 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 bad in the 60s and his approach was very different in a way because it wasn't just to hide it wasn't just to run away it was you're going to go to places that they don't want you and you're not going to react. You're going to sit there because you are a human and you deserve to be there, mm-hmm. but you're not going to react. You're not going to talk back. You're not going to punch. And he would put um, his um, people that like um, would help him in his movement. They went through training and essentially part of this training was to sit in a chair and you would get racial slurs. You would get hit. You would get spit mm-hmm. on. You would get thrown at stuff would get thrown at you all of these things and it was to train them that when you are in the situation because the first thing that's going to happen is white people are going to blame you Mm -hmm. they're going to say no matter what that you were aggressive and if you can be the absolute least aggressive they can't blame you and they will have to face the fact that this system is racist Uh uh-huh and something else that is um i cannot remember her name i 
it is um, Jane something, and she did she essentially like redid what Martin Luther King Jr. was doing, except she's a white woman, and she was doing it with a bunch of white students to show them like what that training would have been like. Yeah. And I watched a video of it, and like kids will genuinely walk out because oh they gosh. don't. I mean, they don't know how to, they're white kids, and they've never had that happen to them. Um, most of like most of them had never had any type of experience like that to be racially targeted because you when you're white you aren't. Yeah. But what's really sad though is that since like we have gone through so much growth since the 1960s in terms of like um, not being super like um, I don't know how to explain it. But <laughs> going back to Dr. Thomas's work, um, what's crazy is that literature hasn't moved very much since then. Like the center. Here's a quote from her work. Um, the center has found that every year, over 85% of all books published for children and young adults feature white characters, a statistic that has barely moved since the 1960s. 85% of all books. So, like, these young adults, like, 85% of their books that are being produced have white characters. So what happens when, like, a person of color picks up a book and most of them are people, like have white main characters like they can't relate to the books like what does that mean like for the next book like are they going to pick up another book if they can't relate to that main character yeah they subconsciously start to think that i can't be the hero i can't be the main character because mm -hmm. they aren't being represented equally or even partially equally mm -hmm. as white characters like it's just not even close to being equal mm -hmm. um and that just tricks the subconscious into thinking those things especially when you start picking up books as a young child like it's not even just young adult literature it goes back to children's books and even into adult books too mm -hmm. like when you aren't represented then you're going to start thinking subconsciously like i can't be what's being shown in the media and what's being mm -hmm. shown in these books and a good example of that is this actually happened during the 1960s i think during martin luther king's um or martin luther king jr's time. like time yeah, yeah basically there was this experiment done and he gave two dolls a white doll and a black doll to um people of colors children basically mm -hmm. and they asked the kids they were like well which doll is the good doll and yeah. even these black children picked up the white doll. Mm -hmm. oh they were like, gosh. "These, like, this is the good doll, you know? And wow. so That's... just seeing that and, like, understanding the gravity of that, that these children are taught that, like, just because of their skin color that they're lesser than is just absolutely, like, terrifying to mm -hmm. me, you know? And there's all these examples of, like, um, I think in the letter from the Birmingham jail that mm -hmm. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote, um, he talks about how... Um, African-American people, like uh, the adults, they ha have to try to explain to their uh, kids that, oh, we can't go to the amusement park, you know, like, we we can't do that. And they're, the kids are like, oh, why, you know, like, I want to go on the roller coasters. And they're like, it's, well, it's not because any other reason, but it's your skin color. And I can imagine, like, that is so infuriating. And that's you know? what that talk is about, right, that black right. kids get and white kids don't. Like, we just don't. And granted, the society, system is built yeah, for us. Yeah, society now, like, there's not going to ever be, like, that, like, pure, obvious of a visual visual stereotype. I mean, maybe it probably still does happen, but it's not as prevalent. Um, like, you now, kids, you know, there's dolls of all colors, and there's mm -hmm. there's no kind of segregation in 
amusement parks, but there's still like the fact that in literature, there's this type of like segregation. Mm -hmm. It's just really appalling. Something to note to this that I just find what you were talking about with the white dolls, but also just white and light and things that are fair are associated with good just Mm -hmm. across the board and Mm -hmm. anything that is dark isn't it's just seen as dirty or stained or tainted or damaged or all of these other negative connotations and a really interesting idea of this and i won't go into anything religious with this but just it's interesting to think about Mary and Jesus are insanely whitewashed mm-hmm. in any which, type of religious they're like which. arably colored though you know yeah because yeah. if you go back biologically we stem from Africa that is where humans stem from biologically if yeah. you take the genes and go back right if you're looking hundred hundreds of thousands of years look at genealogy yeah. right which means that Mary and Jesus and the people there we're not white. Yeah. They well, were they white. They also were just born in the Middle East. So there was like, no, it wasn't like I have seen throughout the, my entire life. Mary was always fair skinned and she mm-hmm. had brown or blonde hair. Yep. That is not realistic, even in the slightest. It's not. And it's sad to me that systems across the board have been whitewashed. And it's sadder to me that it's to kids. Even holidays, you know, Santa Claus is depicted as white. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Cupid is depicted as white, you know, leprechauns and stuff for St. Patrick's Day. Mm-hmm. I've only seen white ones, you know. Yeah. Um, the pilgrims and stuff, like for Thanksgiving, you know, when you're in elementary school and, you know, they all dress up and, you know, you bring pumpkin pie and all this kind of stuff to school. Which is already just issues with how we do Thanksgiving in America. But <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> but like all those point. pilgrims are white, you know. Right. And so this, I just, the fact that band-aids. people of color can't see... Oh my gosh! Represented, yes. you know, Such yeah, band aids are huge. Yeah, um, just recently, like band aids have like been skin color that isn't like tan. Yeah, and that was like a huge thing. And it was a huge thing when Crayola came out with like a like skincare crayon so that everybody could have a color that yeah. was skin colored because the only skin color well, was, was peach. Mm-hmm. And also, I'm thinking like we're all girls here, and so think about like cosmetics. When you oh, want to go to the, the foundation? store and get a foundation, the foundation a concealer. I'm sorry, yeah, Tarte right? Cosmetics you know? deserves to Tarte be on fire. They had tape their line. Oh, the foundation. I looked at it. I looked at the first three shades. It's the same color. You can't change my mind. They uh-huh. have like three colors that are actually usable mm-hmm. for anyone who isn't white or mildly like just a little bit nice. of tan. Like it. Mm-mm. I hate you heard it here. No Tarte no, Cosmetics people. No, nobody <laughs> like Tarte They cosmetics. do not have our they brand do, of approval. They do not cater to anybody but white people. But granted, neither do cosmetics because for most people, cosmetic lines have things like bleaching creams and they would literally cater that because they said if you can bleach your skin and literally look whiter, you will have better opportunities. And that's horrible. One, it's completely damaging to your skin. And obviously, you've taught people who are people of color, that if you change your skin, if you literally try to strip it away, you are better in life than just looking how you are. Which also, like, if you look at it from, like, a beauty standard, like, if you go to a makeup store and you don't see the color that, you know, matches your skin tone, like, that's beauty. Like, that Mm -hmm. is what the media sees, that's what people see in the outside world, And that's, you know, just like that generic beauty standard of wearing makeup. And when you aren't represented, 
and the slightest things like cosmetics mm -hmm. like that subconsciously changes you mm -hmm. yeah the subconscious impact of all of this is astronomical and oh, even yes. before you hit makeup you know children's books dr seuss just got in trouble because like some of their mm -hmm. books had kind of um oh, oh no like, it was bad yeah yeah, yeah. they had they had uh, um i guess people of color depicted in ways that were not like equal you know mm -hmm. they were demeaning and so those have now been i guess pulled off the shelves and stuff which it is was, good but yeah, it's, it was six it's embarrassing that it took this long mm -hmm. you know oh, those yeah. books have been out since we were kids and we're now I 18 those books. you know yeah. Yeah. yeah i don't the books that also were like pulled weren't like top sellers but even so like they were marketed towards children like that's horrible yeah. like no dr they, seuss is such a huge author for children like my little brother he's mm -hmm. seven and he still reads dr seuss i read dr seuss and i'm 10 years older than him mm -hmm. it's targeted towards children and when you don't include everyone equally you know that's upset that's that subconscious thing again some people have like talked about just in general you know as camille mentioned there are people who are products of their time i'll give this example walter disney was a raging anti-semite he was a horrible human being and was a racist and his company makes and owns you know the majority of the world and like owns the majority of like different television companies and they make millions upon billions of dollars and i think the point is yeah can we hate him for what he did absolutely and can we call him out we should and that forces his brand by us calling him out to change what's happening mm -hmm. like um Princess and the Frog, there was a whole thing about the fact that Princess and the Frog, it was like the first Disney black princess. It was a huge deal, as mm -hmm. it should have been, because mm -hmm. all of them had been historic. All of them were very white oh, yes. mm -hmm. and oh, yes. very European standard. Yeah. And half the movie, she's a frog. Oh, yeah. So all the little girls and all the little boys and everyone in between who were, were people of color, specifically black kids, who were looking up and they were like, I finally get represented. Oh, as a frog. But I'm a frog. frog. But I'm a frog oh. for the whole movie. And they can't. And I'm like, that's. Like, I didn't even think about that for the longest time because I didn't have to because my no, princesses were like, all oh. human for the majority yep. of their movies. Yep. And yet, these kids, for a kid's movie, they're told you're going to get to be a reptile. Oh. That's sad. Yeah. That's horribly sad. Representation and YA literature for people of color is incredibly important. So that way, everyone feels from a young age that they know subconsciously they can be the main character people of color are unfairly systemically treated in so many ways and literature is no exception it's important for people of color to have the books and it's important for white people to read them and to be educated and understand their privilege and understand the importance of the issues being discussed Social media has been a big factor in bringing people together to hear about and talk about these subjects. Dr. Thomas's book says, since today's young people are as likely to be engaged in virtual social worlds as they are face-to-face -face communications, the ways that stories are told and retold in converged cultures are more significant than ever for shaping the collective consciousness. Thank you guys for tuning in to this segment of the Parking Lot Podcast. Tune in to listen to our next episode and remember to be an active activist listener and advocate. Bye, Bye guys! guys.